Good morning, good evening, wherever you are across the world and the universe. Welcome to Quantum Living, a mysterious dimension at the intersection of science and spirituality, where anything can happen. I'm your host, Anna Anderson. Thank you for joining me on this quantum journey as I continue lifting the veil of other dimensions and realities to make them a part of our life. As always, please take away from the show only what resonates with you and discard the rest or put it aside for later. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Okay, let's begin. Hello and welcome to yet another fascinating episode of Quantum Living. I have always been intrigued with the quote-unquote supernatural phenomena and people possessing secret knowledge and skills. In the plethora of such practices, witchcraft and shamanism stand out for me as the original traditional connections with the spirit, which, while called supernatural or paranormal, are in fact the most natural and closest to our soul ways of living. To explore this mystical topic and help us understand more about it, I have invited a special guest to my show today. Thomas Moonigal is a shamanic practitioner, artist, author, Reiki master, and teacher based in Louisville, Kentucky. He started practicing Tai Chi in his teens and is now a Sifu of Southern Chinese Tai Chi and currently working towards certification in Qigong. Thomas studied various esoteric practices and holistic approaches to self-empowerment for many years. He is a spiritual coach, incorporating his esoteric background with modern science, which is the space I love to explore. And he's now joining me from Louisville. Hello, Thomas. Welcome to Quantum Living. It's great to have you on my show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Beautiful. We've got so much to talk about, and thank you so much for your time. You are my first shaman or shamanistic practitioner on the show. <laughs> so, yep, Shamana, I was about, I was about to correct you. <laughs> correct me. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, about the sh- shaman and, and shamanic practice. I have a teacher who, if she if she heard me. <laughs> I refer to myself as a shaman. I would get a talking to. <laughs> shamanic yeah. practitioner. Yeah. What's the difference? Well, uh, a shaman is, well, particularly speaking, uh, that, that word comes out, I think, of a uh, Siberian or Mongolian tradition in that area or region of the world where that is the word for someone who is doing that practice in that culture. Okay. Um, so a shamanic practitioner, you know, anthropologists adopted the term shaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for people who are non-indigenous and not born into tradition and raised, you wouldn't refer to them as, as a shaman. Um, and again, only if you were born in that particular culture would you be called a shaman because mm-hmm. that's the word that they use. You know, in different, in different ones, they, you might be called a um witch doctor or you know a medicine person or it, there's many different terms in every okay. different culture for it but that, that's the one that's the I'm always I'm nitpicky about that because my teacher <laughs> might hear this and she'd be like 
you're not a shop. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Could you tell us about your shamanic journey? Were you born with those skills? Were you initiated? Have you had a calling or made a conscious decision to study shamanism and become a practitioner? Sure. Those are all very good questions. And know that if I was, I'm not sure that I was born a shamanic practitioner. I don't think, I don't think so. Uh, I, uh, while I've been, I was always very sensitive. I, I was very sensitive to other people's feelings, emotions, and I was intuitive. But when I've talked with other people who have particular spiritual gifts, mine don't sound like their experiences were. Uh, mine was just, I just didn't, it, I had no skin between myself and other people, if that makes any sense to you. Okay. Um, so some people might call it, a, you know, empath or I was just, keyed into other people's feeling states and how things felt. And I, I, I had very strong emotions growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had a, a long, you know, lifelong interest in, you know, things like ghost stories, fairy tales, uh, you know, as I got older, you know, I became interested, oh, and the tarot and different, you know, esoteric practices. Oh, I just, I was fascinated by them and always drawn to them. Um, so a sense of wonder has been really central to my spirit and my well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was drawn to that. Now, I, I think to become someone who does this um, or to do it, you know, anybody can learn the skills of, of shamanic practices, I think, but not everyone's going to become uh, a professional practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a lot of initiation that happens with that. And uh, I've gone through many, <laughs> some plan not. <laughs> so. Okay. So what is shamanism? What do shamans do? Put simply. Okay. Shamanism is a collective term for what I consider the original spiritual tradition of humanity, which is animism. The idea that everything is alive, everything has a spirit, and everything has its own intelligence and can be communicated with. So that's at the root of the practice is that everything is alive. We're all related. And we can actually look now with what uh, science and biology has told us, you know, we all descend uh, from those first single-celled organisms uh, and, and, and so the primordial sea. And that, you know, so we are, in fact, all one family. We are all related. Um, and this is, you know, central. So in a lot of Western cultures, uh, where we have more of a hierarchical view of creation. You know, we have a pyramid scheme where mankind is at the top and everything else is below. In shamanic practices, it's a circle. And if you take anything out of the circle, the circle is no longer complete. So everything matters. Everything is important. Everything deserves honor and respect. So that's at the basis now of what it is, as far as what shamanic practitioners or shamans do, um, our job is, mas- is basically to communicate uh, between uh, this world and the world of spirit. And that's some people think of that 
like a medium, it's a little bit different because we're not necessarily communicating with the dead. Uh, we're communicating with the spirit of a place, or the spirit of the trees or, you know, your own um, uh, helpers or power animals or guardians or ancestors mm-hmm. too, um, to help bring about balance, bring about healing, uh, to bring about change or to restore relationships. There's a lot about working with relationships because when any relationship is out of balance, it creates harm. Mm. And so that's what we're we're aiming for, to create better relationships between ourselves and the earth, ourselves and spirit, and other creatures and other human beings. Mm. (laughs) And that last one is the hardest. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. And I really love the, or it's not a metaphor, it's it's an explanation of the concept of shamanism as a circle, because in a circle, there is no beginning or end. Everything is connected. So thank you for that. Now I would like to make a connection between shamanism and today's world, because obviously shamanism or shamanic practice has been with us for thousands and thousands of years. So in today's world, when we talk and learn about quantum physics, and we understand more and more about quantum reality and what it is, and then we make connections to the various ancient teachings, how does shamanism translate into today's world? And the underlying question is, has it changed? Has it evolved? Has it adapted? Or is it as traditional as it was thousands years ago? It has changed. And it also, there are still streams of it that are, you know, the same. What's interesting is that many of the concepts of shamanism have shown to have weird parallels with quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. The idea of other realms, you know, the idea of... um, that the world is not solid, that, uh, you know, this is, this is the world of the dream in a sense. And what we get in quantum mechanics is that the observer collapses the wave function. And that's when, you know, reality becomes static and freezes into place. And so it's the same thing as like, you know, calling in or dreaming into something that dreaming, the place of dreaming, and um, dreams are very powerful in shamanism. Uh, you can have healing dreams. You can have dreams. I've had <laughs> a, a history of dismemberment dreams, which when they <laughs> first started was very disturbing to me. And I went to one wow. of my teachers and I said, what is this about? And she's like, oh, that's great. That's like a real big compliment to get you know dismembered in a dream by a power animal. That's wonderful. That's a big healing event. I was like, it didn't feel that way. <laughs> and to, to give you some shorthand, so most times in dreams, I don't get physical sensations. It's just a picture. I get the feelings, you know, the emotions of what's going on, but I'm not, you know, something grabs me in a dream. I don't usually feel it. When I have a shamanic dream, a dismemberment dream, 
I do physically feel that. So I did feel the pain of being torn by an animal and bitten. Wow. And I would wake up and I would feel it for about half a second still when I would wake up from it. So they weren't exactly pleasant dreams for me <laughs> or restful. Um, but they were apparently necessary and I'm supposed to be healing. And so now uh, what I do is if I haven't had a journey or a shamanic journey, which is different from sleep, uh, and we'll talk about journey in a bit, but if I haven't done a dismemberment journey in about six months, I make sure I get that journey in because if I don't, it will happen when I'm asleep and I don't want it to happen when I'm asleep (laughs) because I will feel that dismemberment physically (laughs) (laughs) while I am dreaming. And and then when I wake up, I will not have had a full night's sleep. So I'm proactive with those nowadays. In fact, just two weeks ago, I had I took two journey, two different separate journeys and both and got dismembered twice. So I'm good for about six months now until the spring for mm. me. I, I'm good on dismemberment. I, I don't have to worry about it. So okay. <laughs> unless I get told otherwise. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's talk about shamanic journey then. And why that particular journey of being dismembered by an animal? Why is it so significant? Sure. Okay. Well, I'll start with uh, what a shamanic journey is, or at least how I, I look at them. Uh, with journeying, uh, what you're doing is you are sending a, the preceding bit of your consciousness out into a non-ordinary reality. So you are going into the spirit realm. And in shamanism, um, general core shamanism separates this into three different layers or three different realms, the lower world, the upper world, or the middle world. Now, we live in the middle world. Or I should say, we live in one of the middle worlds. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, thing and the way I was taught is that in the lower world and the upper world, nobody can tell you a falsehood. No one can lie. Now, they also don't have to talk to you. So, you know, but if they answer you, what they said is factually true as far as they are aware of it. Now, if you journey into the middle world, it gets a little trickier, a little trickier because you have to learn discernment. Like, who can you trust in the middle world? You know, which spirit is like, I don't know about this one. And to give you an idea of like what other middle worlds there could be, uh, probably the most famous one is probably the realm of fairy as one. Uh, And there's a lot of stories about about fairies as well. Some good, Mm -hmm. some bad, some in between. Um, but another middle realm, the internet, mm-hmm. it has its own realm. It is its own realm and it has its own spiritual reflection in the spiritual realm. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Could you talk a bit more to it? I understand the concept that the internet is a, it is a dimension of its own. Yes. And, and also the internet create its own cyberspace cyber reality that doesn't really exist yeah so it is really fascinating could you talk to this for a moment sure um one of the things that i was told um was that a lot of spirits have migrated into the internet because there is so much human attention and energy available 
because there's so much intention going into it. There's, it's sort of like, you know, a gold rush, you know, (laughs) (laughs) setting up shop. And some of these spirits are really wonderful. And some of them are really predatory. And, you know, again, it's a middle realm. So middle realm teaches us all about discernment and all about, you know, drawing boundaries and claiming our space and Mm. saying, and for us to learn, you know, to be really in alignment so that we can't get pulled off of our path by, you know, circumstance. Right. Do you have any particular um, example that you could share of your experience with that middle world in the internet space of that was particularly spooky or interesting? <laughs> I haven't really worked a whole lot with it. I, I, I you know, I initially did a, some few exploratory journeys on it years ago. And, and I was actually thinking of it today. I was like, you know, I should really delve deeper into this because uh, there's probably a book in here about this somewhere. <laughs> but there's probably a book in this if I, if I really wanted to explore this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always one of those, there's always so many interests in, I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I'll put that on the back burner. You know, usually it's, I'm doing journeys for other things right now. And, um, that got sidetracked when I started working, uh, with, the the runes and started doing journeys to rune spirits and things like that, uh, which then actually did become a book. Uh, so I need to, I do, I've been thinking lately, I need to go back and revisit some of that stuff. And it could, because it is really interesting. If you think about a lot of myths uh, and um, you have in uh, the North American tradition and some tribal societies, you have a grandmother spider uh, who had, you know, they make the dream catchers was, it was out of, that was something that grandmother spider taught. And so this idea of catching dreams or particularly Mm. those were meant to catch bad dreams, but let the good ones through. And wouldn't it be nice if grandmother spider was in charge of the internet? Um, Mm. I mean, (laughs) I think she's probably vying for it. I think she's one of the players, but I don't think she's the only, she's not the only game in town on on, on that mark. So, um, yeah. And you know what? Another thing fascinating about the internet is that I have a sense that it is a, a reflection, if not a part of the universal mind, universal consciousness, because with Google, pretty much you can put in any query, any question, anything you can think of, and you will get some sort of answer, some sort of outcome, some sort of information. Now, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, that's a a separate, you know, separate issue. But I am amazed that pretty much anything that I want to find the answer to, from the most practical to the most bizarre, when I put it into Google, I will get something. So this is like, it's, it's this cyber depository of information, which I have a strong feeling it is somehow connected to the universal mind. What do you think? It's certainly uh, at least the collective human mind. I don't know if it's, you know, the the whole universe. Uh, There are 
Okay. Yeah, amend the collective human. <laughs> and, it, it, but it is um, this idea that, yeah, you know, there's, you know, we have the collective unconsciousness. We've, it's, it's been in, you know, psychological circles has been discussed for a long time and, and also in some esoteric circles as well. And now, you know, it's a good thing. You know, I, I think we are seeing the effects of collective consciousness in a way we haven't before, where we can really see it in real time and, go there and go, ah, this is what's going on. And this is what a lot of people are thinking. And this is why. And um, we've seen that in both good and more recently in bad ways uh, <laughs> with misinformation and how, you know, conspiracy theories spread and, and this, but it really is the sub it's, it's kind of an externalization of the subconscious. If you think of the subconscious as where we store everything, um, even though human memory is not quite that eidetic, <laughs> it's not—it's—it's it's not perfect. Mm. We reconstruct things <laughs> over time. That is—that's the the latest I think in how memory works. Is that we always, whenever we remember something, we're reconstructing it, and where we are and what we're going through, experience—you know—changes how we experience that memory and can even change the memory. Whereas if you Google something. It's going to be, and you get to a page that should be the same page until somebody edits it, right? Yeah. Um, so it's not exactly the same, but it is very similar. Mm. Um, and you can look at Just the, the beginning, an yeah. introduction. Yeah. And, you know, lately I've been saying, you know, for my own health and safety, I must not read the comments on the internet. Mm. And if we look at, you know, just even our own subconscious and some of the thoughts that go through our heads Yeah. and going, you know, I, I used to start saying when I was thinking some things that I was like, well, I'm kind of ashamed. I thought that I would start saying things like that thought is unworthy of me. Mm. Uh, meaning I'm better than that thought. That is, you know, I am not going to claim that. Yes. It passed through my head, but I'm not going to claim that as part of me. I'm going to say, yes, I experienced that thought. I don't, that thought does not get to define who I am. Now, it's easy to get real bogged down, particularly when you're overloaded with lots of things, but it's, sometimes it's good to pause, particularly if you're in a rut uh, or you're stuck to see, you know, are the thoughts that you're thinking, you know, are they truly reflective of you? Are they, are you just re regurgitating what the people around you are thinking, what society is telling you? And yep. at the same time, that's not me telling people to avoid troublesome thoughts or to avoid, you know, um, difficult ones or, you know, difficult feelings um, because there's power in those too. And it's learning to balance those that really truly makes us human and really brings us into our own power. Um, so I always tell people, emotions, feelings, and thoughts, it's like having a whole huge box of crayons and you have your favorite colors. But if you really want to paint an accurate picture or really, if you want to make a masterpiece, you have to learn to use all the colors. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if we take all the sadness out of our life, it's not a complete life, you know? And it's the same thing. If you take all the happiness out of your life, it's not a complete life either. <laughs> 
and all the shades of that in between. Learn more about quantum living, a cutting-edge approach to self-empowerment and emotional freedom at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is the master key to understanding how life works and gives you many tools and strategies to change your life experiences. Whether dealing with emotional addictions, relationship issues, self-sabotage blocking the progress and achievement in your life, or any other challenge, Quantum Living is the space you want to be in. My Quantum Living coaching program is as psychological, spiritual and esoteric as it is educational and practical. In the advanced stage of the program, I will take you on a quantum soul journey in a deep theta state to other dimensions and realities, which is an amazing and profound experience. I also invite you to sign up for Quantum Talk, my free monthly newsletter with a blog, updates and special offers. When you do, you will instantly receive a download copy of my book, The Seven Keys to Quantum Communication, absolutely free. To book your free diagnostic session and receive your free book, visit quantumliving.com.au today. You'll be glad you did. Yeah. So it's about discernment. It's about being your own person as opposed to allowing yourself to be bombarded by all that information and uh, and impact of the internet. In fact, I've I've noticed I I tend to use the internet less and less frequently. Yes. Because I use it now as a tool so if I do need to find something or learn I do that, but I don't browse through Facebook or browse through YouTube unless I want to see some cute cats, (laughs) (laughs) cute kittens. But essentially, because this is not only I feel a waste of my time in a sense that it's unproductive and doesn't really give me much, but in fact, it sucks up me into this this internet vacuum where I can lose the sense of time completely. And just, you know, two hours later, I realized that, oh my gosh, I've just spent two hours watching YouTube, you know, for no reason at all. (laughs) Well, and, you know, the algorithms are designed to keep you scrolling and to keep you watching and to keep you using that app so they can sell you more things. And it's really easy because they they have hacked the human psyche to do this. They have used, um, you know, social psychology studies to figure out what's the best way to keep someone engaged. Mm. Again, you know, some people think, oh, it's all nefarious. I'm like, no, no, it's just, it's marketing. Sometimes it's just like, we want you to use our product. We want, you know, and we, you know, if you stay on, that means, you know, our advertisers, advertisers will pay us more for, for you to use this, this system. It's not that they're particularly bent on world domination, I think. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's just, a, it's, it's a self-serving um, position, which has caused that sort of, but that's one of the things I always look at when I look at science fiction, that science fiction always got wrong, which is that they're in the future. They have this amazing technology 
they don't, they're not sucked into it all the time. They use it, like you said, as a tool, mm-hmm. but they're not playing on it and they're interacting with other people. They're looking people in the eyes when they speak to them. They're going, you know, they're actually listening. They're not playing on their phone when they're on a date, all these different things. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh, Star Trek, you, we, we've got the iPad, just like you said, we've got eBooks, we've got all these other things. We're getting into the realm of the hologram with these visor steps, but yeah. what you didn't tack, tackle was addiction patterns. Yeah. Um, and that is, um, you know, really, you know, circling back to the idea of the internet as a spiritual plane as well, you know, with shamanism, one of the main things that we do is uh, extraction and soul retrieval. Mm-hmm. You know, we take out energy that has found its way into your body because there's a whole a space there where part of you used to be. Okay. And so something else just comes in. So we take that out and then we have to go look for the piece of you um, that, that has wandered off. And I should be looking, you know, I should probably for a lot of my clients be looking in the internet, not, not the action, not Google, but, you know, the spiritual internet and seeing, you know, what part, where in the social media, uh, you know, spheres has this piece of you gone mm. to because I know particularly over the past year that part of me has gone into those spaces because we've all been physically apart. Yes, yes. So how can you tell that someone has lost a soul fragment or fragments recently or over the years? And then what is the process of uh, retrieval, just in a nutshell? You know, I would say that the easiest way is if someone just does not seem like themselves. It's like the light has gone out of their eyes. They have trouble laughing anymore. They don't smile, you know, all these different things. Um, And of course, you know, things are going to happen in our life that, you know, may we grieve, we do. And that's that's fine. Um, But when just someone does not, it's very, it's hard to put into words. But, you know, I, I, I remember seeing a friend, you know, it had gone through this very horrific thing. And I just looked in their eyes and the eyes felt empty. Mm. And I was like, you need some cell retrieval work done. <laughs> okay. Because like the light that was, I was used to seeing there was just not there. And it's not a visual, it's a sense when you look at them that there's just, their shine has dim. It's easier for people who, know, if you know the person or if I'm in session with one and I'm asking them questions, so what's going on? And I'll, I'll feel around, I'll get indicated that, but just in your own life, you'll know when people are, you know, running on empty as it were, where there's a lot of mm. them. And I know when I'm missing parts of myself, cause I'm more anxious. Um, I can't seem to get anything done. I'm not excited about pro- creative work or projects. And I'm always, I mean, if, if I'm not watching how to do something on YouTube, I mean, and getting excited and then running off and trying to do it myself, uh, then it's, yeah, there's something going on. Okay. So when doing soul retrieval, do you connect with the spirit and engage the spirit in the process or 
how do you do this? Well, there's a couple different ways uh, to do this work. I mean, if you go the traditional route, you would journey with your power animal. Um, they would tell you, yep, they're missing. You know, let's pull out what's not them. You would do that um, and send that off to be healed. And then you would go uh, and look in one of the realms for the missing piece. And either your power animal or another guide would lead you to that. And then you'd convince that that uh, to come back. Now, a lot of times I do the more quantum way, what it, which is more modern, mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of times there with the drum and a rattle, um, people are, you know, t- on over the internet on a call like this or on the phone. And so I just feel, and I send my awareness out and I just kind of call it. I, I, I feel like when it left, you know, how old were they? And I track it back mm-hmm. and I just kind of coax it back in. Uh, so it's more an energetic retrieval. Um, mm. Working yeah. with energy. Yes. As, as we, yeah. As we now understand it's the same thing. I mean, I do, I still have my, my guides and helpers there. Um, but it's, it's more of a feeling thing rather than, you know, I'm going to send my consciousness and I know I'm, I'm, I'm reeling it back in, mm. you know, <laughs> and you could do that because on an entanglement, if it was once a part of you, it's still part of you. And you can, if you've got you there, you can feel and find where the other part of it is. So you can just kind of call it back. Mm. Um, mm. In most cases, sometimes you have to do the more ritualistic way again, because uh, depending on how long it's been gone and, you know, how ready and willing the person is to reintegrate. Sometimes you need some more, you need more meat uh, to the process, more, more, more substance there and more something for their consciousness to grab a hold of. Uh, like some sort of ritual or ceremony. Right. What do you think and what is your take on entity and spirit attachments? Um, That is, I I would say, very common, but also generally not how people think of it. And what I mean by that is that because of Hollywood – and horror films, we have this very unrealistic expectation of what that, um, yes, it causes problems, but they're usually more subtle. Um, for instance, uh, a lot of people who have a lot of addictions will have attachments of people who have passed on, who also had that addiction, which also makes it harder for them to get rid of that or to transmute that addiction and become sober because they're not just dealing with their energy around addiction. They're also dealing with all the attachment energies of addiction. So the first thing you'd have to do is remove all of those and send them on into the light. And then you'd have to call the person's spirit pieces back and then they have to go through counseling <laughs> to help with the addiction uh mm. so you know there's a whole progression that's one example but um people think of possess you know i say depossession and people think the exorcist i'm like not usually no it's not like that um mm. i've only had one or two cases that were kind of scary and um it was mostly 
you know, for those people who have had an attachment for many, many, many years, um, that's where it becomes an issue because there is a confusion of a person's identity. So if something has been with you since childhood, if, you, if I were to take that out, you would feel very strange because what you thought of as you, a big part, a big part of what you thought of as you was not actually you. So for a while, you don't know who you are, even when I've brought the actual you back. Mm-hmm. And that can be very anxiety provoking for people um, to not know who you are. And I'm like, and I tell people that I feel like if we're doing deep as that, even if it's been a recent thing, I'm like, if we're doing, I was like, you might feel weird for a week or two. You might get a little bit anxious. That's part of the process of healing here. Just know that and it'll pass. And usually that takes care of the problem, mm. um, you know, or at least gets it to a manageable level until they get through that, that transition period and they recenter themselves and they you know, become secure in who they are and their identity. But there's an idea I think a lot of people have that entities um, or spirits that are in a person are malevolent, just barely the case. That's it's sort of like, you know, is, is when you get a cut and you get uh, back, you know, some bacteria in that, is that bacteria evil? No, it's opportunistic. Um, so it's the same way uh, that are there some that are sure. I mean, the same, you could say the same about people. There are wonderful people. There are terrible people. There are people that are in between. <laughs> yes. Um, and a lot of times, um, if it's an actual person, they mistook um, the person's life force energy as the light and just latched onto them. Mm. It was a safe, warm place. They were alone in the dark. Now they're not alone anymore. So can you remove them if, if, they, oh, yeah. if they are bothering the person? Uh, I'd say remove them even if they're not bothering the person because they don't belong there. <laughs> so... Just by being there, it means that that person can't fully integrate their own energy. So they can't fully stand in their power. Yes. So that in itself is causing, I'd say it's causing harm. Is it malicious harm? Not generally, no, but the person can't live to their fullest mm. if there is something else in them that is not of them. Yes. Um, so I'm always, now, the strangest thing that I ever had happen was, I had someone that had something in them from the time that they were very, very, very young. And I did everything I could to try to remove it and it would not leave. And what I found out was, is that all the things I would do was to do something if something was Mm -hmm. malevolent and trying to, you know, well, this was not malevolent. It was uh, wrong in doing what it had done to bind to this person. Um, but it, it had been, I guess, a, a relative that had passed on and that had taken a particular shine to this, this young descendant and wanted to protect them. And so it kind of merged with their energy in their body to do this. Now, the problem was is that they really didn't belong there. <laughs> they meant well. And so I finally, what I had to do was negotiate with it to leave um, and say, 
you care about this person, obviously, or you wouldn't have fought so hard to stay in when I was pulling on you. And mm-hmm. um, you really do care and love the, this person. And I got a, yes, that's true. Like I tried to say, you are not helping them by being in them. I'm like, if you really want to help them, you need to move into the realm of spirit where you have access to the creator and you can help them much more from there and you can protect them much better from that space than the space that you are currently in. Mm. And slowly over a period of minutes, they started to loosen and float on and move in to that transitionary mm. light. And um, for sure enough, that person did have that sort of anxiety when they were gone because again, since they were like three or four, just this felt is, different somehow. It's just completely different. Mm. Um, so uh, that's, you know, that can happen. Um, but, th- and that's one of the, I, I wanted to say, because again, this is because of popular culture and movies. We have this idea that anything that is there is malevolent and it's not true. Yeah. Sometimes things mean well, but sometimes when you mean well, you still mess up. Would you like to learn how to meditate in Theta, the optimum frequency you can have in a meditative state? By popular demand, I have created an instructional Theta meditation package containing a guided audio meditation and an introduction booklet. It is a unique, one-of-a-kind resource that will help you achieve and maintain the elusive Theta state throughout your meditation and will give you the important background information about Theta Meditation and this process. For more details, please go to the store on my website at quantumliving.com.au Yes, yes, absolutely. And in fact, the reason why I mention it is that as you know, I do quantum coaching work myself with people. And I had a client who has an entity attachment, but it is in the category that you just described, not meaning any harm, but it attached itself some years ago after a particular trauma in this person's life. Mm-hmm. And most recently, it started making its presence known, like audibly and physically, to the point that it started bothering that person. So yes, so I've been doing some work with with her, but it refuses to leave. It just, not so much refuses, but it doesn't understand why it is asked to leave because it feels so good. And it feels just as you described, exactly as you've described but it's still, it, it's not its place. It has to go because it's, it's drawing on her energy and it's uh, hindering her life in many different ways. So that's why I've been working with her, trying to find a solution, trying to find a way to make it go away because it does impact on her life. I, and I myself am fascinated with ghosts and all that. But if I go into a house and they've got ghosts, um, I'll be like, okay, time to clean up. Because 
And people are like, oh, but they're not bothering anybody. And I'm like, okay, if they're here, it means that other things can come here too. Things that you probably don't want here. And you're not doing them any favors. They're not at peace here. They might be comfortable here because it's what they know. But that is not rest for them. That is not rejoining source. That is not rejoining their ancestors or their family members that are waiting for them patiently or sometimes impatiently in the light. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's really important, you know, um, when I, even when I remove something that some people might call malevolent, I call in forces that are taking it away, not to punish, but they're taking it away to be healed itself. Yes. Mm. Because if you don't do that, they'll find somebody else to torment. <laughs> yeah. uh, Let me say which is great. the spirit of it to you. <laughs> yeah, which is great for repeat business, I guess, but um, <laughs> is not good overall for the community. <laughs> Um, and the world, you know, the more so, and, and I always tell people, give me that kind of thing any day of the week than having to deal with other people's. And what I mean by that is entities are easy to deal with in comparison to dealing with people who are throwing negative energy at your, with, or, or shaping energy with malicious intent. And the reason I say that it's not that we can't do anything about that. It's just that people just don't stop a lot of times unless they are stopped. And I have seen this over and over again, where people will do things with energy that are not good. <laughs> I'll just say it. they're not good. They're not kind. And, uh, you know, can, I can remove an entity and send it on its way to heal and it will never trouble you again. I cannot make somebody else disappear without problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obviously. It would be nice if I could. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Now, when we are talking about beings from another world... So these include beings in the higher dimensions or of high, higher frequency, such as spirit guides, saints, ascended masters, angels, Gaia spirits, whatever you want to call them. Then we have extraterrestrials living on other planets, in other galaxies and universes in this dimension. Then we have extraterrestrials living in such other places in other dimensions. And then we have humans visiting us from the future, different time-space continuum. So there's a whole plethora of beings, quote-unquote, from or out of this world or from another world. My question is, which of these categories, if you can possibly <laughs> uh, think of it in, in this way, have you been interacting with out of all those different types I would say um, beings from a higher uh, dimension. Mm -hmm. So uh, from what I would call the shamanic upper worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, so my, uh, my, my upper world teacher, uh, and there's a master teacher as well. I sometimes work with, um, there are 
oh, I guess what you might think of as archetypal spirits or spirits that myths were built around or deity forms mm-hmm. or things like that. Uh, I'm more, uh, I'm, or sometimes even angelic uh, beings or even uh, something that uh, I just call grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that one was very interesting because, you know, I was thinking, oh, it's something from the upper world. And I was <laughs> reinformed that, it, no, uh, it's everywhere. It's in all realms. Mm-hmm. It's in all things. Grace is, if we are, grace is suffused within us. Mm. And not just us, but all things. Some people call it God or the creator or all that is. Yes, talking about this concept. I'm not quite sure I understand what it is, but it's, but I just think of it as grace. And um, I, I, I remember a lot of times in shamanic practices, you know, when you meet a spirit, sometimes, you know, to gain um, understanding from them or to, you know, draw upon some of their energy and healing work, you'll, you will merge with them. They will merge into you or you will merge into their form. And I was taken by my teacher to, kind of commune with had uh, you know those little harnesses they put toddlers in so that they don't run off mm. <laughs> that's what my my upper world teacher had on me uh, as we were walking up this sort of pathway or tunnel to meet with you know an embodiment of grace and it was just so I didn't get you know just pulled out and uh, I asked grace to merge with me and they said no which is the first time I've ever heard that and I said no and they said I cannot merge with you I am already Mm -hmm. in you yeah and then they went and they were like but not just you you know (laughs) because our minds will take that and go oh well look at me I'm special grace is already in me (laughs) no well yes but it's also in everybody else and everything else so that was kind Mm -hmm. of an interesting experience to say, you know, I was like, I would like to merge with you. I can't do that. Yeah. Why not? Because I'm already in you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the deepest truth there is. Thomas, one other aspect of spiritual work that I'm very interested in, conceptually at least, uh, which bridges the spiritual with the body or the spirit with the body, is the practice of yoga, tai chi, Qigong and similar disciplines, if you like, and practices which involve body movement and moving energy with the body in specific Mm -hmm. ways. Could you talk to the role of these practices and their importance in improving and building and developing our spiritual work, if you like, because many spiritual practitioners either do yoga or do Tai Chi, so they they incorporate some sort of body movement practice. Could you speak to this for a moment? Sure. I think it's really important and foundational to to include a physical practice Uh, because you need something, you need a strong anchor point. Um, for these energies. And all of these practices like Tai Chi and yoga or ecstatic dance or doing like a whirling dervish practice, um, 
there's there's so many different ways that you can you know practice with your body uh you need to prepare the body to be able to integrate the energies that you interact with and so a lot of people in the modern world do yoga they do it for fitness forget that the idea of yoga was initially to prepare the body for meditation mm. and to unkink body unkink the nadis and the different energy channels in the body so that um those energies could flow unobstructed through and you could go deeper makes sense mm. uh and a lot of people um will sometimes think of energy work as a very mental practice and it can be it's in, and there is a definitely a mental aspect to it um or you know when i do a journey and they're like i i explain or i tell somebody like oh well that was a nice meditation and i try to explain to them that was not a meditation <laughs> that was an event that took place in non-ordinary reality it is going to have an impact in this reality if i don't prepare my body to help integrate that it will not be okay <laughs> Mm. <laughs> um, I did very intensive journey work a week ago and I'm still processing it in my body. Uh, and that's with my practice. If I didn't do my practice, I'd probably still be in bed. I mean, <laughs> okay. So that's why it's really important. Um, the body is, you know, has you know, the physical aspects to it, but it is also a receptor. It also receives and transmits energies. And when we work with that, um, we can find, not only fine tune our senses, but we can also ground our senses. So when we're driving in the car, we're driving in the car. We are not, dri we are not going on an interdimensional journey while we're driving. Uh, a lot of times if people who've done a lot of head work or third eye work, but they haven't done the lower chakra work or the, the body work or the embodying or the cleansing and the balancing that will have psychosis because the body is not able to ground. And then you have a hard time discerning um, where you are in the cosmos. What realm are you in? What's, what is, what is ordinary reality and what is non-ordinary reality. And those are two important things to, that's very important to know which one you're in and what's going on because there are different rules for each. And thank you very much for explaining this because this is really a very important topic that many people are unaware of or are ignorant of. And it's really, really important to incorporate those yes. physical body practices in, in our spiritual development, not just mm -hmm. for our physical health, obviously, because that, that that is, if you like, I like to think of it as being a side effect of <laughs> on the physical body and, and health with the main 
goal and a main outcome being that opening those energy channels in the body to allow the en- proper energy flow. Let's talk about manifesting our reality with our thoughts and emotions and intentions. And it is a big rabbit hole. And we we talked briefly about it before we started the recording. What I would like to bring in here to our conversation is that I have noticed that recently, and I'm talking especially in the past maybe oh, 18 months or so, which is strangely aligned with, with the pandemic, so there could be potentially some parallels there. But what I've noticed is that my thoughts in particular more rapidly manifest themselves in my reality without being necessarily intentional. I'm in Melbourne, in Australia. A couple of days ago, we had an, an earthquake, which is extremely rare. I believe it happened for the second time in the, in the recorded history, and the first time was so strong. And the day before, I was working on something and I was thinking about the pandemic and other disasters. And I thought to myself, I have never been in an earthquake. And that was just a fleeting thought. It wasn't an intention. Oh, I'd love to be in an earthquake. I'd love to experience. No, it was a fleeting thought. The next day, I had an earthquake. My whole house shook. It was very scary. You know, nothing that damaged, thankfully. But my point is, that my fleeting thought manifested as my experience very quickly. And I had other similar experiences, one that I also shared on another, in another interview, that a few weeks before the pande- this current pandemic started, again, I had a thought reading some article about it, about pandemics and, and various disasters, that, ah, I've never been in a pandemic. I wonder how would it feel? to be in a pandemic. And then boom, a few weeks later, I am in a pandemic world. So I've noticed that there is an increasing frequency and decreased time frame in which my fleeting thoughts, not my intentions, but fleeting thoughts get manifested very, very quickly. It's like the universe was saying, oh, well, you are wondering about this experience. Here you are. Here is your experience. So what are your thoughts about it? Can you talk to this for a moment? Yeah. Um, I would say we, we talked about, um, you know, manifesting versus stepping into a different reality where that is the reality, uh, like stepping into a parallel universe. Mm-hmm. And um, which we do a lot. Uh, we don't know that we're doing it. A lot of people think like if you have deja vu, you've stepped into a parallel universe. Um, or when something, or you misremembered something that you're absolutely certain happened, um, that really you could have just stepped into a parallel universe where, no, it just happened a different way. Um, so, you know, rather than saying, I called the pandemic in, or I called the, maybe you just took a step to the side. Uh, where into a different reality where that was the reality and you just aligned with that. Mm. Um, and that's what I meant, by the way, that yeah. I created this particular experience for myself. I, I, I'm right. not saying that I've created it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> a lot of people would have take issue with that. They'd be really, Anna, <laughs> we would we'd really like to speak to you about what you've been doing. 
one of the things um, that as you were talking, you know, because we talked about this pre- in the pre yeah. and as I was hearing you talk about it again, I started considering, you know, is that the case for me? And then I thought about it um, that because I work, I, ha- I have a clay studio in my basement um, and over the past year or so, I've been able to create work that I've never been able to create before. I've always wanted to create work like this, but it never, mm-hmm. <laughs> it never turned out before. And all of a sudden, everything I was turning out, everything was just working. Like, I'm like, what in the world is going on here? I tried to do this stuff for years and it didn't work. Now all of a sudden it's working. Um, I started writing creatively again, you know, fiction and uh, just having stories come to me. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I need a writer's group. And then like a couple of days later, a couple of my friends, oh yeah, we'd love to write with you. I'm like, oh, sweet. Same thing. We, we like many other families, have um, tried our hand at different recipes that we've never attempted before. So we have made steamed pork dumplings that are as good that you get in any restaurant now. So, and other things that we just amazed. My sister has learned to make baguettes, you know, and they're great. And we've done some, we've we've baked just about anything (laughs) you can bake. Uh, And it's turned out. Mm. And you know, those are small, little, simple examples, but you know, she's made croissants and now she, that's, mm. that's the thing, right? Uh, not those little things you get in the can either. And we're talking from scratch where you roll them out, laminate them and, you know, fold them and put them in. They have to go. It takes hours to make them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's a, a strange quality. And I think part of it may be that stepping into a different reality, uh, stepping to the sides, stepping sideways kind of into a different uh, universe. But I think also being in this space, which has been very liminal in the sense that we have been for, for many months separated from our normal routine and lives and all of those things, routine holds energy in place. And it, it's, it serves as a marker of, and the, to mark, of our world and our experience when we no longer have those routines when we step out of those and particularly for an extended time other possibilities get the chance to shine Mm. so that's like when you trap this is why when you travel and you go to a place and you have this wonderful experience but it's very different to live there and the reason is is because you don't have the routines of living in the space as opposed to being a tourist in the space or you go on retreat someplace. And it's one of the reasons why travel is very good for you because it breaks you out of your normal everyday routine and all those things do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with routines. They can be wonderful. They can really help uh, instill good habits uh, and, and ground good energies into your life. But they are also a limitation. And not all limitations are bad. Some serve to uh, as a protective measure or some to mm. demarcate, you know, what we accept and what we don't accept, what's right for us, what's not right for us. But that is, you know, I think in part what's going on for a lot of people is this uh, disconnect from the way the world worked. And since it doesn't work that way anymore, what other ways can it work? And so we're a little bit, we've been a bit more open yeah. uh, in our framework and our 
So that's what, that's what collapses that wave function into form, into what we see and experience around us. So when we widen that filter or we just change the filter mm. as we've been doing, we're going to get different results. Yes, absolutely. Do you think that what's been happening with accelerated manifestation of our thoughts and switching the realities, that this is connected or a part of the ascension process? What are your thoughts about this? A lot of spiritual camps you know, fall into two different you know, camps. With and one is ascension kind of spirituality, and the other one is embodiment spirituality. Now, I fall into the embodiment category. Now, I came into the spiritual world seeking ascension. And then I, I kind of fizzled with that. Um, I got, I, I went, burned too bright, too fast, and burnt out. Uh, <laughs> and thought. So what's the difference between the two? Ascension is sort of the way I, at least the way it has been described. Now, some people say, no, that's not what it means. I'm like, well, this is how people have described it and or how it comes off to as me is escaping the human condition and limitations of the physical and escaping sort of all the negative. Uh, and, you know, is this a kind of magically peel back sort of like Dorothy opens the door and she's now in Oz. It's all technicolor. Look, there's ruby slippers and everything. And for embodiment, for me, it's sort of like, okay, I see these beautiful, loving potential energies. How do I transform myself to anchor some of those here in the world where it's really needed? Mm -hmm. um, and that is a lot of times less attractive uh, to people because it's messy. Mm. <laughs> Anything, because it, 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 it involves personal dynamics. It involves your relationships with your families, with your partner. And it's challenging. And it's, and it's really, and it, yeah, yeah. Or, or I should say, it can be really challenging. It can be really hard. Is it always? No. Are some things harder for some people than others? Sure. But that's always going to be the case. And so it's sort of accepting that we live in a physical realm in the moment and that Everything is not perfect, but what can we say uh, to make it, at least where we are, a more loving space? And that's just sound, as I tell, when you try to sell people on it, it just doesn't sound as sexy as like, oh, we're going on, we're going to, the dawn is going to come and we're going to be in a new age. It's going to be a golden age. Every, all the problems will be gone. And it sounds great, but the problem is, is that we still are, we still are who we are and people are who they are. And so that's my take on it is that we got to get better at dealing with ourselves and dealing with other people. And I think that's actually how we get to the new age is, um, 
when we work on ourselves, because if anything else has been shown, Mm -hmm. I mean, we can do anything if we put our minds to it and we all, there's a collective will to get something done. We can do it. I mean, we, we, we came up with a groundbreaking vaccine lickety split and it works. And, and people like, wow, how did that happen? And they're suspicious Mm -hmm. of it. I'm like, look, when you give something unlimited funding, (laughs) You put the best minds behind it and you have lots of people behind you and everyone's like, yes, please do this <laughs> and let, let's get out of your way and make anything you need. Sure. Well, sure. You can just accomplish just about anything. It's sort of like, you know, when Kennedy go to the moon, Yeah, he didn't know how, <laughs> but he, they decided and, you know, there, and he was the president. So everybody said, he said, so, so yeah. you better just get to it and we'll get you what <laughs> you need, but do it. And they did it. And I think that's the good news is that we've seen that when we, co- when we work together, yes, we can accomplish beautiful, wonderful things. We can solve unsolvable problems. Yes. If we work together, um, the problem, the, of course, the very problem in that is that we have to work together to learn to work together. We have to do it, work on ourselves. And then we have to learn how to work with other people who haven't worked with themselves and, you know, give them a space to, to be able to start to do that and support them. And as you said earlier, relationships, which really stood up for me is the key. So to learn, and I feel that this is part of our grand lesson, if you like, on, on this physical plane is to learn how to have loving, happy, productive, working, healthy relationships with ourselves to begin with and with others, because this goes into the the whole concept of the oneness being one energy field, and yet having to work individually and collectively with every person having a different agenda, (laughs) which we need to reconcile if you want to achieve a common, some sort of common objective like the vaccine or, you know, anything else. So it just really resonated with me when you mentioned the relationships. Yeah, it's, it's really key. And it's, it's the stuff that it's so funny. We teach so many things in so many schools and we don't really, at least where I am, I don't know where you are, if this is the case, mm. we, they don't teach you how to, how to relate. They teach you basic obedience and stuff just to run a classroom, but they don't mm. te- teach you, how do you navigate your emotions? How do you express your emotions in a productive way? How do you relate to others without, you know, or, you know, and discuss things when there's, when you, without hurting them in return. Um or without casting blame or making somebody the villain. Um, Yes. And these are at the root of most of our problems in the world um, is a breakdown in basic Um, And you can see this um, with the environment. Absolutely. our, Our relationship with the earth, you know, and last year when, um, I can't remember when it was. We had wildfires. Half the country was on fire um, out west. And this was right as we were going into the end of the summer and into into the fall and uh, out west. And uh, I've worked with some weather shamanism before and, and groups and 
journey to the wildfire, see if what they can do. And I, I remember going to the spirit of the wildfire and pleading with it, please, uh, can you, you know, dissipate, calm down or avoid these populated areas because these people are going to have to flee and go into shelters and that's going to spread the virus even more. And what the wildfire said to me was, you seem to think that I and the virus are separate things. We are not. Mm. Interesting. And, and it was like, and no, I'm going to go where I'm going to go. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. This is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that is a very common refrain for many weather spirits when you go to journey them and ask them to please stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're like, no. <laughs> I will they, not. They need to do their job. <laughs> they need to do their job. I remember journeying many years ago to a snowstorm, and you know the news stations were going, "Oh, the snowmageddon, snow apocalypse." And I asked yeah. them, "Could you please just, you know, lessen and dissipate?" And it said, "Absolutely not. We've had this planned for six months. What are you crazy?" <laughs> and they said, "Do you have any idea how many babies are going to be born because I'm coming this weekend?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so that's, there's always a plan behind the plan, yeah. even in the spirit world. Well, we, we mentioned teachings, Thomas. Could you tell us about your work and your offerings and how people can connect with you? And obviously, I will include all the links in the show notes. Well, I do a lot of different healing work um, and also readings for people. And I do have a website. Um, if you go to thomasmonico.com, um, you can find me there. And I also have two YouTube channels. So one is uh, focused on healing videos. It's sort of, I like to call it my sample channel because uh, it's like a taste of what it might be like to get a little mini session from me. Mm-hmm. And then I have another one that is focused on instructional uh, for Tai Chi and Qigong. Mm-hmm. So uh, and that one, of course, and I do live streams on that one once a month, as well as I post instructional videos there when I can. Mm. Yes. And I also saw on your Patreon page, you have some exclusive videos for your supporters. Yeah, I do um, uh, a, a monthly healing teleconference. It's a sort of a group work, uh, group healing that I do for my patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, on which- Zoom? No, currently it's um, just an audio recording. Uh, well, not I should. It's an audio call um, because it doesn't really depend. A lot of my work does not depend on visuals uh, because it's mm-hmm. it's energy. So people are like, don't you need to see me? I'm like, not really. I'm 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 in your energy. <laughs> <laughs> my my first, okay. uh, you know, when I was first learning, I had someone. I was doing an email exchange with someone. I would I would sit at a particular time and I would do the session. I would write down what I, what I had done and then I would send it to them and then they would, you know, get it and they go, wow. Yeah. I felt this and this and this. And so it was really good training uh, to trust what you get because if particularly they're not, they can't answer you. Um, I've also had done work for people on deployment and I just have to record what I do and send them the audio. And then they listen to it later and they experience it as, as they listen mm. to it. Mm. So. so the energy was embedded there. Yep. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Well, I must thank you so much for, for this beautiful, enlightening conversation. What would be your final message and your key takeaway for our listeners? Oh, to sum up, 
there is beauty in the world. There is wonder in the world. We have to remember to look for it and to hold it close in our hearts. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been a really a pleasure to have you on my show. And Thank you. I'm sure that our listeners will enjoy this conversation. Thank you so much, Thomas, and namaste. Thank you. Namaste. That's all for today, folks. If you enjoyed this show, please post a review on Apple Podcasts to encourage others to listen to it and lift the spirit across the world and the universe. For the show notes and contact details, please go to my Quantum Living Podcast on podpage.com. I'm your host, Anna Anderson. Thank you for listening. I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode of Quantum Living. Until then, be well.